Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This episode is sponsored by Yandu. Yandu is a vegetable umami sauce made from triple fermented soybeans and umami-rich vegetables. Add it to broths, soups, stir-fries, pastas, or any other dish that needs a deep and complex boost of flavor. It's a natural replacement for dashi, concentrated stocks, and bouillons, as well as an excellent vegan fish sauce alternative. 100% natural, organic, vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO with no artificial flavors or preservatives. For a limited time, our listeners can receive 25% off their purchase by entering the code 25COOKBOOK at checkout when you visit shopyandu.com. That's the number 25COOKBOOK at shopyandu.com. That's S-H-O-P-Y-O-N-D-U dot com. This week's featured cookbook is... Milk Street, The World in a Skillet by Christopher Kimball. Hi, Johnny. Hello, gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) You like that? I do like it. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I feel we should warn our audience. There's been a little bit of day drinking going on. Not a lot. I'm I'm feeling okay. I'm I'm not feeling sloppy or anything, but... I'm not either, but, you know, the wheels can come off the bus at any time with me. Anything could happen. (laughs) That's what people have grown to expect. The Mm. the unpredictability, the Mm. spontaneous nature of this show. Sure. All right. Welcome. Episode 80. 8-0. Whoa. Right? Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. Um, if you go to our website, which is wecookbooks.com, and click on the store tab, that will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. And from there, you can choose from a few different lists that we have curated. And if you make a purchase from any of those lists, you'll get something that you're probably going to buy anyway. We'll get a few pennies in return. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything more. Okay. Right? Sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we were discussing day drinking, maybe we should talk about what we are currently drinking. Um, oh, I'm just drinking a glass of white wine. Oh, you moved on to wine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how bad it is because like you, you're trying to pace yourself now. I don't. I can't do any more cocktails. What are you drinking, sir? I am drinking something called the Queen's Park Swizzle. This is from the book Smuggler's Cove that we just featured I'll on our... smuggle inst- your... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the the wheels are gonna fall off uh, off this pretty quickly. I told you. Um, but anyway, this is from Smuggler's Cove. We just featured this on the Instagram feed, and we've got this rum that we picked up on a trip to Chicago. We'll talk about that in a second. And I figured I would throw something together. Did you like it, by the way? Because you drank yours already. 
I did. <laughs> well, clearly I liked it. Okay. Basically, you got your fresh mint that you muddle with some lime juice, throw in a little simple syrup, and then a little rum. Uh, we got some Plantation Dark that we picked up in, in Chicago, and a little uh, Angostura Bitters. See, I always say Angostura. There's an N in there. It's I know. It's like <laughs> one of those words that I just, I know how to pronounce it, but I just can't make myself do it. I feel you. Um, also, I have to say, you are a really great bartender. Thanks, when I'm trying. You, when you follow a recipe. Yes. But you still can't. I can't wing it like you can. You're skilled at both the rustle up when we have to make yeah. some some leftover dinners, pantry meal, and also at just throwing together a delicious cocktail using no recipe. The cocktail thing is like a point of pride for me. I'm it should like, be. Oh. And and this is and if you know anyone has been listening for a while, this was one of my New Year's resolutions is to become a better mixologist and it kind of occurred to me when I was doing my, you know, mid-year check-in with myself. That I haven't really been. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. I think I make every I'm, drink. I'm being pretty lazy. Like, yeah, whatever you make, whatever you're making, I'll drink. So, um, I did, decided I needed to kind of refocus. So, focus thus, up, sir. Thus, the the Queens Queens Park Swizzle. All right. Well, well, let's speaking of the Chicago trip. Let's talk about that for a second. It was so. This good. was our second time. Returning to mm-hmm. our former hometown after uh, moving to Minneapolis last September, we stayed uh, with our former neighbor and good friend who lives on our same old block. So we got to see the old the old hood. She runs an Airbnb. Get in um, touch if you ever uh, need some Chicago accommodations. It, isn't it like called the Waveland House? I believe it is, but send us a DM and we'll hook you up. Yeah, um, yeah. her. Well, I mean, she lets us stay there for free because we're her friend and she loves us and we love her, but her rates are super cheap. It's under a hundred bucks. And the neighborhood is great because Mm -hmm. there's lots of fun new stuff popping up and we got to check out a few places. Um, We brought our dog with Mm -hmm. and she made a new doggy pal. Um, yes. With uh, coincidentally a a dog named Franklin. Oh, it it was kind of weird for me to be like... Frank. I know. But calling a different dog. I, I feel like I didn't, and I was expecting myself into because when we had Frank, we had 50,000 different nicknames for him. Yeah. And I, I was expecting myself to kind of fall into that with this dog, and I didn't. It no. was just like, it was like Frank or Franklin. Very nice, well behaved oh, dog. Oh, such a great dog. Kind of a, maybe some kind of a shepherd mix mm-hmm. with like longer hair. Very sweet. Like, you know, kind of medium ish, largest dog. I would say medium. <laughs> okay. Not large. And uh, we went to uh, a dog beach right on Lake Michigan, and the dogs got to run around. Make some doggy pals. I got my first sunburn in years because I forgot to put on sunscreen, even though we were sitting in the shade. I'm very impressed by your brave journey. (laughs) (laughs) I got the sunburn. Yeah. But I was like really disappointed. You got a blog about it? I was super, hey, come on. Don't discount my feelings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're being a dick. Um, But I was like actually really disappointed in myself that I was that careless with my skin because generally you're not i'm not at all what else did we do well we're oh we went to 
Hala Kahiki mm-hmm. uh, Tiki Bar, kind of Polynesian themed bar. It's been there forever. It's kind of a piece of Chicago history. So if you ever uh, visit, I would definitely recommend a trip there, especially if you if you like uh, you know cocktails and and decor in that style. We went to Community Tavern. We went to a new place called the Bluebird Cafe, mm-hmm. which uh, they have this gorgeous outdoor patio behind the restaurant. And it occurred to me when we were sitting there eating with friends that this is now the third uh, restaurant that's remember. been in that space. What was the name of the first one that was there? Uh, so there was a place called the Portage. The Portage, which that... was kind of a neighborhood bar. Yeah, and that's what it was. Thing. Okay. And then it became Cochinita, Cochinita. which was a taco joint. Mm-hmm. And now it's the Bluebird Cafe, which is just kind of, you know, new American sandwiches, burgers, salads, that kind of thing. And they didn't do much inside to change it from the Cochinita days. And let me say, I really enjoyed Cochinita. We went there when, uh, on my birthday and it happened to be like taco happy hour. Yeah, and I <laughs> this think, place had a taco happy hour, people. I think we got our enti- like my entire birthday dinner. For like 30 bucks. Your cheap date. Yeah. Nice. Because they also had drink specials too. Yeah. But uh, yes, so I had a, had a lovely time. May or may not have visited the uh, dispensary while there. Mm. Can't confirm or deny. Um, also went to a lovely cocktail bar called Moonflower. Yes. Which had uh, craft cocktails, kind of a, uh, a plant theme. Mm-hmm. So like plenty of uh, house plants throughout house plants are kind of a big thing now kind of popular they are it's funny According because to pinterest well you know what is funny is like when we first moved in together our all those years ago our aesthetic was so different from what it is now yeah i think it's called a uh, starving student oh my god or something i was kind of like a baby goth too yeah we had so many house plants. We had lots of like white Christmas lights up and red light bulbs. Everything was black. Yeah. We were doing the most. We, <laughs> we were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, we, we went to a friend's block party last night yes. uh, upon our return to Minneapolis. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so uh, we, we have a good friend, someone that I've known for about uh, 30 years. They live in uh, neighboring St. Paul. He's been kind enough to invite us just about every year to this uh, you know, annual neighborhood block party that they host. They invite us... All every year, even mm-hmm. though they, you know, we lived in Chicago, they knew we were very unlikely to attend or unable to attend. And, you know, we'd always, you know, just say, sorry, can't make it. And then, you know, to our surprise, maybe we, we got the invite this year. And hey, here we are in Minneapolis and we actually got a chance to attend. And we've been to the block party. Like we went to the block party mm-hmm. once before we moved. Yeah. It's like, you know, so basically we're going to attend every 20 years, <laughs> I think. Um, there were two different kids in Spider-Man costumes, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't get the memo that it was you know your, your Spider-Man costume was was you know encouraged. On um, our way there, while we were parking, uh, there was a gentleman carrying along a martini, 
in a martini glass. <laughs> and I was like, was I love random. him. Yeah, we were like, we got to meet this guy. And later on, we did at the keg. Everyone gathers around the keg. It's kind of like the water cooler at work. He was drinking and beer out of the martini yep. glass. So, uh, you know, presumably he finished his martini mm-hmm. and then he just, he had this drinking vessel. So he was like, I'm going to fill this up full of beer. So it's way more classier than a red solo I, cup. I loved that uh, we were chatting with this gentleman uh, drinking beer out of a martini glass. And we got to talking about film and movies and it, and it was like the highlight of the evening because we were talking about my dinner with Andre and then somehow the conversation turned to guess who's coming to dinner. And then I suggested that they make like a mashup sequel to the movies called guess who's coming to my dinner with Andre. I walked away at this point because I don't. I'm sure you did because you're tired of my bullshit humor. (laughs) I'm like, okay, this is not going to be funny. Goodbye. Uh, But this this block party had everything. Box wine, live music. Food with flies. Yeah. It was a true outdoor uh, outdoor smorgasbord. We got there a couple hours into it. And like at that point, well, and we were like planning on eating. You okay over there? You're, You're grabbing your boobs. I feel like I should tip you a dollar or something. <laughs> my boobs itch. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, Let me go get my dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Make it rain on me. Yep. Um, so anyway, we had been there a couple hours. We had been wanting to eat. No, everything was uncovered. Flies buzzing all around. Oh, yeah. We we don't need to we don't need to make it sound negative or anything. No, we it was a lovely time. Yeah, it's, we had a lovely what, time. I mean, it's what happens. It's a when consequence you, of an outdoor absolutely food event. So I took like we took a chance and grabbed like a covered up hot dog yeah. in the in the <laughs> slow cooker and ate it. And we we're like, okay, whatever, we're good. So getting back to those Spider Man kids, just <sighs> just picture. Uh, being awakened by one of these little shit birds standing silently by your bedside in their Spider-Man outfit. See, that's not scary to me. Oh my god, that's like the stuff horror movies are. Made no, of. I'd be more scared if the kid was like holding a knife. Oh, there in you front go. Me. Ooh, I think we're on to something. Spider-Man is nothing. Call Tony Collette. This right? sounds like something that she would star in. Uh huh. Okay, I guess we should discuss what we just finished recently, which was uh, Green Kitchen, Quick and Slow. By David Frankiel and Louise Vindal. Mm-hmm. Next up, I, I had a meeting without you, and I've decided. <laughs> so you're making unilateral decisions yep. now. Okay. Uh, Eat What You Love by oh. Danielle Walker. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Hopefully it is uh, true to its name, and it's not just like eat what is okay or eat what you like. It, it, it better be eat what I love. I still have veto power, though. I know you do. <laughs> If I don't like it, it's not happening. So tune in next week. We may or may not be featuring that book. (laughs) We'll decide. Let's talk about what's for dinner. Oh, yeah. You've been excited about this since before our trip. Want to do the big reveal? Doing chicken and waffles, gluten-free style with a Belgian waffle. Yep. I'm so excited. Air fried. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that too. Well, here's the thing: we got rid of our waffle maker when we moved because it was like this weird reversible, like sandwich. Well, it wasn't like a sandwich press; it was like a no, it was a uh, waffle maker. Yes, yes. Um, and I hated the waffle maker. I thought it was terrible. 
So you just didn't have the touch. Oh, whatever. I, I had the waffle making touch. I was always on waffle duty when we. I prefer those. Belgian waffles because they are do. much fluffier. And so we actually end up acquiring one. Well, my mom's a hoarder, so I think she had like probably six of them still in the box in her kitchen because I don't think I've ever seen her make a Belgian waffle. No. I I snapped, I snatched one when I was there last. She won't miss it. And then the last thing I wanted to just mention because it's on everyone's mind, The Bear on Hulu. Mm. Uh, San Francisco Eater just published an article called here's the complete list of every cookbook featured in the bear because if you've watched the show i remember when that scene popped up i yeah. paused it because yeah. i was like let's see what he's got yeah there. so the, 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 there's a few scenes where cookbooks show up including one where marcus his baker is kind of working on desserts and and probably the most prominently featured one in the show is the noma guide to mm-hmm. fermentation mm-hmm. which i think is also a, a nod to the Noma restaurant and they they kind of allude to the the fact that the the main character that was a restaurant that he had spent some time in and and worked at um even though they don't explicitly say it and then um there was also a scene in the back office where you know he's everything's kind of cluttered and stacked on top of each other and there's like a volume one of the modernist cuisine Mm -hmm. uh book which is kind of notoriously uh, known as nothing that the home cook could ever use or do anything with. And so a lot of people probably bought it with the best of intentions and then just it got, you know, relegated to like, yeah, stacking some some lamps on it or something. I mean, we had several books like that. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful coffee table books. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the the author of this article, if you if you find it online, they did a you know just like you said, did a like freeze of that scene uh, because it's only a few seconds. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's these all these cookbooks stacked on top of each other in in his apartment, and they kind of went one by one and compiled a list. And there was only a few that they couldn't make out or, or recognize. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's a good probably mm. 50 to 60 books. Um, and whoever was responsible for putting that together did a good job. It's so because, thoughtfully curated, yeah, yes. It, it is stuff that, you know, if you were kind of like a hotshot young chef, you would probably have in your collection. Mm-hmm. And then including... You know, they they make reference to that he worked at the French Laundry. And, and so if he spent any kind of time in the Northern California, San Francisco er- area, there were several books from chefs or restaurants in that area, like like Alice Waters and mm-hmm. Tartine Bread. And, and so it would kind of make sense. Like they, they, they took the backstory and then kind of selected their books around that mm-hmm. to make it pretty believable. So yeah, just wanted to mention that. I figured anyone who's into cookbooks would want to check that out because it was it was an interesting read. Should we move on to our show question? Yes. All right. This was a good one and I, I had fun with this. Uh, we put this out to our listeners. What has been your most extravagant kitchen purchase? And we got some so we got some fun answers. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to hearing yours. Uh Remy R said most recently I purchased this uh she purchased a pellet ice maker. A countertop pellet ice maker mm-hmm. from uh GE Profile. It's called the Opal and 
you basically stick it on your countertop, you fill this little reservoir up with water, and it makes pellet ice in like a big thing. I, I, so I'm wondering if, is there something that keeps the ice cold or do you have to transfer it into the freezer once it's created? I mean, I'm I'm fine with pellet ice. I don't think I need a pellet ice maker for no, use. No, but like if... And also the price tag was like $550. Oof, yeah. <laughs> like I know sometimes we'll do cocktails and it's like, crushed ice or yeah. like pellet or nugget ice and we'll just take some ice cubes put them in a bag and like smash them with a, a dull, mallet yeah dull side of you know mallet. what that costs zero dollars <laughs> i think i'll stick with that uh-huh uh nancy m said a KitchenAid mixer i love it um you're not alone agree yeah what else you got uh scott o said how about a whole new kitchen? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm envious. I know. He posted photos and it looked gorgeous. And uh, that is not that is not the last time we will hear that answer Ugh, from our listeners. Right. Melissa G said knives and a commercial grade Vitamix. Mm-hmm. Good calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what Alexis cooked said a Breville pizza oven. Jealous. I know there are people with like these pizza ovens in their backyards and I'm just like. Oh. I know. Uh, another another vote for the whole kitchen remodel from at writer Rhiannon. Yes. Am Tarasco at Am Tarasco said espresso machine. Oh, yeah. You can spend lots of money on those. Yes, you can. Get one of those like gold plated ones. You can get like the professional grade level ones that have like the two different espresso outlets. Oh, my God. Right. You could spend so much money on an espresso machine. (laughs) Uh, At Suze Raz says KitchenAid mixer. Mm -hmm. Another vote for that. Uh, at quiet underscore project said Vitamix when I was on a tight budget. When she was new to San Francisco. Yes. Uh, I can understand. That's probably uh, an expensive purchase back in the day. And at Lulu's Cookies said a Chicago brick oven pizza. Jealous again. I know, right? What are your picks? I'd have to say the Vitamix. Yeah. I think that's like the most expensive thing in our kitchen. That was a big purchase for us back in the day. And, you know, to be fair, that has lasted probably a couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were kind of just starting out amateur cooks in the kitchen, that that and our KitchenAid were like probably the big purchases we made. Yeah. Well, and I think you got me the KitchenAid for Christmas one year. Because I love you. Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything else on your list? No. Because okay. we don't have like knives that are super expensive i had a friend that bought me like a 200 and some dollar knife yeah but that's i mean we have some decent knives but i feel like they're just all ones that we've acquired over time mm-hmm. when we found good deals on them well or and found i them can't on sale and, and i can't tell you the last time we bought a knife right it's been for forever we have more knives than we need yes we do um we have some tucked away in the cupboard, but yeah, um, I, I and and they're, they're decent quality, but they're not you know thousand dollar knives or no. anything like that. I will add uh, our Weber Genesis gas grill that we no longer own. We sold that when we moved, but that was a big purchase back in the day. Yeah, it was and something that we used a lot. Mm-hmm. And then also the Weber Smoky Mountain Smoker. I got that for you for your you birthday. Did because you love me. Uh, because I love you. And we no longer have that either, sadly. No place to put it. Living the condo life. Oh, it makes me so sad. I know. 
But yeah, so those those were the things that came to mind. Should we talk about this book? Let's do it. All right. So by our own account, this is the fourth book that we've showcased from Christopher <gasps> Kimball. That's crazy. This I know, is a right? Fourth one. It is. He um, is in rarefied air. Along with Yotam Odalenge mm-hmm. in the upper echelon of our featured Ech- author. Ech- echelon. Echelon. <laughs> there you go. All right. Of, Say it uh, smooth, baby. Featured authors. This book takes you on a culinary tour around the globe, offering up easy one-pan meals that keep ingredients and prep time to a minimum without sacrificing taste. You want to talk about the dishes we made? Sure. All right. Uh, we started with a puntas a la veracruzana, which is a pork in veracruz sauce. Then we did a spicy dry fried beef and celery. Next was a salmon with Spanish ham and hard cider. Then there was Italian summer vegetable stew. And then we finished it off with a Vietnamese-style lemongrass tofu. All right. Let's start with this pork in Veracruz sauce. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of native to Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, the coastal state of Veracruz. It consists of a tomato, garlic, and olive and capers. All of these are staples in our pantry, so this was kind of a pantry meal for us. Mm-hmm. It called for fresh tomatoes, but at the time we did this, they're not quite in season. So we just turned to like the nice quality can of like organic uh, canned tomatoes. Right. Uh, and then we kind of turns into like a stew. Well, so how, how we started this is you take pork chops and you slice them no, no thicker than like a quarter of an inch. Otherwise, they get chewy. And if you need, like, if you have a hard time slicing them and you need to, like, freeze them up for, like, 15 minutes to get them super firm, that is totally fine. Those get seared on the bottom. I wonder if we could have used pork loin, do you think? Oh, I think you totally could have used pork yeah. loin, yeah. Just a thought. Anyway. Um, and then those get, so, like I said, those get um, seared on the bottom and then you cook some onion along with some spices jalapeno and then you add like he said tomatoes garlic onion capers and you cook that sauce down yeah so it becomes kind of like a stew Mm -hmm. and then you add the pork and olives in and we actually garnish this with some pickled jalapenos yes because we're all for all the pickled vegetables yes um and it was delicious anything else to say on that uh Nope. All right, let's move on to spicy dry fried beef and celery. Mm-hmm. I think this may have been one of my favorite dishes from the book. It had an intensity of flavor. There's no real like sauce in the dish. Um, as the title indicates, it's like a dry stir fry. We use some thinly sliced strips of flank steak. Um, and then there's a ton of uh, both celery and ginger in this, as well as Szechuan peppercorns, and then a few tablespoons of chili bean sauce. Mm-hmm. I was actually kind of surprised by how assertive the heat level was. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, typical of, of a lot of cookbooks, they would kind of tame it down for like widespread appeal. But this was like bordering on almost too spicy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one is super simple because you just like, Cook the flank steak first, but you had the celery and ginger. Cook that for a couple minutes. 
throw in your peppercorns and then some chili bean sauce. Yeah. I mean, and was, that's it. Like, by, yeah, it was by far probably the simplest dish we made, but also just the one that really packed a lot of heat. It would be like, oh my God, this is like a dream drunk meal. Like you yeah, stumble you in, go. you're just like, I'm going to make some like hot and spicy. Oh, yeah. And if you look at the uh, photo on the Instagram, Victoria made the plates in the photograph. So kudos to you for that because well. they're beautiful thank you i appreciate it a lot yeah any other thoughts on this dish uh no i actually love yeah and i remember the leftovers the following day were, i know were also very yes. good uh let's move on to this spanish uh ham salmon and hard cider dish well okay this comes from like spain it's like from the northwestern coast mm-hmm. apparently it's famous for apples and ciders it called for jamon serrano which we substitute it. We substituted it for prosciutto. Yeah, it's like a dark hued, dry cured Spanish ham, but we just didn't have access to it. So yeah, went with the prosciutto. And we actually did this recipe a little different because we like crispy salmon skin. Yes. So what we did was like we crisped up. There you go. <laughs> crisped up the salmon skin. And then we put the our prosciutto on top and like mm-hmm. stuck it under the broiler it didn't get quite as like yeah it was kind of a balancing act between trying to get this prosciutto nice and crispy but not overcooking the salmon and... i think we could have crisped up the salmon in a pan and then just like stuck it on the fish right in hindsight uh crisped up the prosciutto yes yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew what you were saying. My mind is gone. Um, and this all sits on a bed of shallots that have been sauteed in dry hard cider. So even though like the picture was a little the lackluster, picture looked terrible, but it was delicious. It was I super remember good. really liking this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that uh, cider was a nice touch for this mm-hmm. dish. Um, anything else with that? Uh, I don't think so. All right. All right. Let's talk Italian summer vegetable stew. It's also known as shimbata or sinfata. Um, This is native to southern Italy. mm -hmm. Um, It's a stew that is super easy. Again, we reached for the can of diced organic tomatoes because the fresh offerings were non-existent at the time. And then it calls for... Onion, celery, garlic, eggplant, zucchini, and potatoes. They're not kidding about summer vegetables. No. And the thing is, is you don't add any additional liquid. Yeah. Like the liquid for the stew is like all the liquid that is released from the simmering vegetables. Yeah. So it creates this like really intensely flavored dish. Like I feel like this was the most... I mean, yeah, there was more things to cut up, but this was the most simple dish. Yeah, you're probably right. Even even more so than that beef and celery dish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was just mostly vegetable prep, mm-hmm. which I'm which I'm skilled at. Yeah, I can do it. Your knife <laughs> skills are better than mine. At this and I point. I remember we had uh, leftovers of this, which I enjoyed, and mm-hmm. they were great. Yep. Um, anything else on that? I feel like we're kind of flying through these, but I mean they're all like very they're simple, so simple. Easy like dishes. I don't like I don't feel like I can pontificate on yeah. them. Not at this point. No. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? No. Mm, I think you might and be. And then lastly, we did a Vietnamese-style lemongrass tofu. 
so this uh, utilized some tofu that we had on hand. Um, what I like about tofu, and as probably a lot of our listeners know, is that it's kind of just this neutral ingredient that you can do. How you know you can marinate it. You can it will soak up like whatever flavors you throw at it. But you know, as far as like in its raw form, it's pretty neutral. It it like seriously is like a blank canvas of food. And then kind of like a a protein sponge that Mm -hmm. you can like marinate it in whatever, coat it in whatever, and it will take on that flavor profile. So here it gets treated with a mixture of fish sauce, uh, tamari, sugar, minced serrano chilies, and lemongrass. So yeah, that gets uh, marinated a little bit and then you... Fry up your tofu in a hot skillet. And then after that, you remove it, use the same pan, cook up your shallots, and then add garlic and some chilies and a little bit of lemongrass. Add a tiny bit of turmeric. It gives a nice color. Yeah. And then rather than garnish with the traditional cilantro that the recipe called for, we reached for this... uh, is it like a Vietnamese? It's like herb? a it's it's a saw it's kind of like a sawtooth cilantro. It's called uh, Gao Gai. Yeah, a little it's bit like, peppery, a little bit bitter. Mm-hmm. We have it at our local Asian grocery market, so you know maybe you can find it there if you have one in your city. But it was it was just a nice alternative to cilantro, but in that same family. And then we serve this with a little uh, bit of shishito peppers. Which are always welcome in our house. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette. When are you going to get the spicy yep. one? I felt like this this one, like normally you'll get a spicy one like every one in a dozen or so. I felt like this one was like <laughs> one every four or five. I know. We're like, woo. We just kept biting into what? spicy peppers. Yeah. So made for a fun, thrilling experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we jump into our rankings, let's discuss the most critical Amazon reviews for this book. I found two. Do you want to start with the first one? Sure. All uh, right. The first one is Maria Wong. One out of five stars. Don't waste your money and time on this book. It contains unimpressive, uninventive recipes. Ooh, she's not Wong. Right? <laughs> See what I did there? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and then there was another one uh, from Eternal Senshi, and she gave it three out of five stars. Her feedback was a little bit more constructive. So it said, uh, some really great recipes, but be prepared to up the ingredients. I really do appreciate the cookbooks by Milk Street. They have a variety of worldly flavors all in one book. I find that a lot of the recipes are super hit and miss. I'm learning to enhance the ones that are amiss with more flavor. I believe this is what can be missing with a lot of these North American takes on worldly recipes. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, I made the Italian-style shrimp and prawns. They ask for whole tomatoes in a can. There's no seasoning whatsoever, so I subbed uh, subbed for Whole Foods diced tomatoes with herbs and then added extra Italian seasoning. And it also added a pinch of sugar and some butter with each part of the cooking. And this truly enhanced the taste and went from a bitter tasting acidic meal to something more herby and delicious. Be prepared to improvise, especially with the seasonings in the recipe. 
and it mentions that uh, they're minimal and limited to both uh, or to onion, garlic, and or shallot. You need more than that if you've grown up with intense flavors. Fair. Mm-hmm. Fair. I think that's always the challenge when you're dealing with uh, like global cuisine or or your interpretation of that is uh, then it then it becomes just like. Uh, Maybe amateur is not the right word, but like, uh, you know, an outsider's perspective on this cuisine. Yeah. You know, fair. Let's discuss our rankings. Okay. Food photography and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? I gave it a three. Okay. The photos felt really retro to me. Like they were like in a, a 90s cookbook almost. Okay. And it's funny because the way this was shot, it felt like, um... Like a lot of other cookbooks are like a Vogue photo shoot, and this one felt very um, catalog shoot. Teen people, um, more like sp- <laughs> Spiegel catalog. Okay. Um, and if anyone, if anyone listening knows what the Spiegel catalog was, hats off to you. Yes. And a lot of the shots only showed like a quarter to three quarters of the food. Yeah, a lot of close-up shots. Uh-huh. I noticed Lots that. Lots yeah. of macro. Yep. I had to sit there and search for that word in my head. <laughs> and the photos also felt very hard to me. Like there were, I feel like I'm hard pressed to find a single piece of linen. <laughs> that was the sound of our blind deaf senior dog, Olive, knocking over a wine glass, setting off a chain reaction that resulted in Victoria breaking a second glass as she attempted to move it out of harm's way. With a small disaster requiring our attention, along with our dinner, we decided to resume the episode the following day. So here we are, 24 hours later, stress-free and sober. Um, Lots of the shots were also, there were macro shots, but it would have like only a quarter to three quarters of the food showing. Mm -hmm. And that was fairly prevalent throughout the whole book. And I don't know if I really... Liked it. They're giving you just a hint yeah. of, the, of the dish. <laughs> really close up. Yep. The colors were pretty neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt very bland to me. And uh, the food wasn't especially colorful either. So it all felt very one note okay. to me. Yeah, I guess that's kind of all I have to say. All right. I gave it a four. Uh, Connie Miller is the photographer, by the way. Uh, their uh, Instagram page is CB Creative, if you care to take a look. But they're food stylists and photographers. And it seems they do a lot of work for the Milk Street books and, and for them. Uh, they do a lot of uh, commercial and editorial photography. So if you kind of alluded to, like, if, if some of that stuff has that kind of appearance, that's probably why. Because that's kind of their style of... Okay. Photography. So okay. it looks like something maybe you'd see in a magazine or a, an ad, print ad or something. Personally, I found it hard to find much fault with the photos. There, There's a nice use of props. Uh, most of the dishes do have some kind of spoons or serving utensils. And I think all of the photography had textured surfaces. But beyond that, there aren't a lot of extra mm-hmm. props or surfaces or, you know, things that would make the photo interesting 
The food is presented in a casual, kind of non-intimidating way. So maybe your interpretation of it was a little it was a little flat, maybe a little boring, but I think it makes the food appealing yet also accessible to anyone who had paged through this book. I get that. So I mean it could have been a conscious choice on their part to go that direction. As you mentioned, there's many macro and close-up shots. I also noticed that all the dishes had some sort of garnish or finishing touch. So to your point where like most of the stuff was kind of bland and not as like vibrant and colorful as some of the other dishes that we've worked through, they did feature a finishing sprinkle of, you know, parsley, scallion, chives, sesame seeds, something like that. And I think every dish had that. that but I, I feel like that's noticed. kind of par for the course, though. Not for always. Any, for like most. Yeah, I don't know. It was just something that I, I kind of noticed that um, seemed like it was a conscious decision of like, how can we jazz this up or or finish this so that it looks a little bit more exciting than maybe it is because it's basically like a one skillet meal that isn't always the most colorful especially if it's some kind of soup or stew or yeah. anyway right. so four design and layout what did you give it i gave it a four as well okay uh all the recipes have a companion photo the head notes are perhaps longer than you'd find in most cookbooks but they're also very informative so they would explain where the dish was inspired by and then there would be a sentence or two of what i called like tips or expert advice related to cooking that particular recipe. The format is clean and easy to follow with nice, large, bold print. The uh, one thing I noticed, though, the end papers, which are kind of like the the papers at the beginning and ending of the book, just, just inside the covers, are just this boring, blank, brown color. <laughs> it was kind of a missed opportunity to me. Like, you know, you, you, you the first thing is you, you flip that cover on the book and it's just this plain brown color whereas yeah. a lot of Why places you will put a photo yeah or something. something or some kind of text or something anyway just just a minor observation the recipes are listed in the front under the chapter titles which i always appreciate so if you just want to do like a quick at a glance like you know recipes in the book you don't have to flip to each individual chapter to see what is uh within the pages mm -hmm. um the chapters are divided into a few different things. First first of which was the time required from start to finish to complete them. So they do have a chapter called Done in One, and it's, you know, obviously dishes under an hour. They had one called Three-Quarter Time, and that was the 45 minutes or less. And then uh, Quick Step, and that was 30 minutes or less. But then they also divide some chapters into pastas, grains, stir-fries, roasts and bakes so it's either ingredient or cooking method uh -huh. the concept of the book is kind of you know every cuisine has its own version of a western 12 inch skillet uh, whether it's a wok or some kind of like clay pot or something so it it kind of took that as the inspiration and then represents over 30 countries so you're probably not going to get obviously the most accurate representation of these dishes but uh, if you're looking for maybe some diversity in your cooking or maybe to kind of expand your tastes or your cooking skills, not a bad book to own. Other than a one-page introduction by Christopher Kimball, there's no other uh, preliminary matter. 
They do have a section in the back matter of the book. You see that? Publishing Whoa, lingo. Oh, look at you. Uh, sorted by ingredient. So if you wanted to do something like, you know, cheese, eggs, legumes. Legumes? Legumes. Yeah, that. Uh, noodles, seafood, pork, stuff like that. Um, you can refer to that back part of the book for uh, ingredient categories. Time listed in the recipes is like an elapsed time from start to finish. Mm -hmm. So it includes both the prep and the cooking time. And then the servings portions were most often four people. And then usually under a dozen ingredients to do these recipes and less than six steps, oftentimes less than three steps. So these are really simple recipes. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. What'd you have? I gave it a four as well. Okay. Um, I, God, I think you pretty much covered. It's This is a pretty easy book to evaluate, so I hope it doesn't sound like we're flying through the rankings, but yeah. there's not a lot of material to digest outside of the recipes. Oh, am I crazy? But there was no pantry section. There was not. I know. Thank I love you, Chris it. Kimball. Yes. Yeah. Can more books do that, please? Yes. Especially for something like this. You know, they. It, it's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I basically said the same thing. Um, well, everything about this book is like simple and easy to follow. Mm -hmm. There's nine different recipe sections, as you were naming some of them. The font is pretty small, but it's dark. Okay. You so found it small, huh? I, yeah. To okay. me, it was, it felt very small, but it was, it was bold. Yes. So I think maybe that made it a little easier. Yeah, I didn't find the the recipes themselves difficult to navigate at all. I thought they were they were pretty well done. Degree of difficulty. I gave it a one. Okay. Um, this book achieved its objective of simple, often quick and easy one pot cooking. The directions are concise and easy to understand, and the recipes are likely well tested by the Milk Street staff. Anyone with modest, basic cooking skills should have no trouble preparing any of these dishes, especially since there's no baking or dessert recipes. So this would definitely be a good book to give someone maybe just starting out in cooking mm -hmm. or that's just kind of looking to expand their, their skill set. So what'd you have? I gave it a one as well. Also, I think this is a good, well, most of I, all the dishes are like under an hour. Yeah. The ingredients are really accessible. Mm -hmm. I, and I also think this book is a very, is a good kind of intro if you want to diversify your palate. Agreed. Like, like yeah. trying different, you know, various cuisines. I mean, obviously they're not super authentic. You're not toasting <laughs> right. spices, you know, before you cook it. But it's a good dipping your toe in the pond. Yeah. And I think for someone who might have maybe a limited amount of kitchen space, limited pantry, limited set of uh, kitchen cookware, mm -hmm. gadgets, all that, this is a good place to start because there's not a lot required outside of the very basics. Lastly, taste. Um, I gave it a 3.5. You know, I should change that to 4, probably, because I don't feel like we had to do a lot of adjusting for seasoning Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we did follow the recipe instructions for this rather than being like, let's, let's, there was no improv. On yeah. This let's one. do it our way. Yeah. Um, for what that is, you know, all the food ended up tasting really great, but it was missing like depth of flavor, sure. you know, that you get when you are taking time. Mm -hmm. 
However, I don't think there was like one thing that stood out as my favorite. Okay. And usually when we do a cookbook, you know, I'll have something that I just absolutely loved out of everything else that we made. And yeah. that didn't happen for me with this book. Okay. Fair enough. All right. What'd you give it? I gave it a four as well. Okay. Um, perhaps surprisingly, I really enjoyed everything that we made and felt that it had some pretty decent flavor as far as like seasonings and, and all that. In the case of that spicy dry fried beef and celery, the spice level was quite assertive. I, I like, was shocked. That I was know. leaving my lips tingling after that, uh, after that meal. And even though that we featured this book on our Instagram feed about a month and a half ago, I can still vividly recall all of the dishes that we made and just, mm-hmm. you know, how, how they tasted and, and also how pleased I was with eating any of the leftovers that were, that were uh, for lunch the next day. So that's a good sign, I guess, is that uh, you're, not, you're not mad at the leftovers. Um, so yeah, four, I, I think I just knocked a point off for what you said where, uh, you're not really going to experience like maybe truly authentic flavors because it's trying to be a catch all for a lot of different global cuisines. And also just, you're not going to get that depth of flavor that you would if you labored over these dishes for an entire day or something Mm -hmm. and kind of built up the flavors. So, but I don't think it's that type of book. So hard to find fault with it. Yeah. All right. Well, we've reached the Gastro Obscura portion of the show, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. I don't even know what you chose for I know. this episode. Okay. So it's going to be a surprise for me. Where yeah. are we going this week, Victoria? We are going to Canada. Okay. And, a. A. and this is about the Beavers Club. Did you say a boot? this is about uh the beaver club's extravagant dinners so this takes place in eastern canada um in 1785 the fur barons of montreal established (laughs) an opulent dining club called the beaver club so are they gonna have like a real housewives of fur barons (laughs) (laughs) it'll take place in montreal That's another show that you can watch. Sure. All right. (laughs) Okay. So this is its this is its mission statement. Their rules and mission statement. Okay. To bring together at stated periods during the winter season a set of men highly respectable in society who had passed their best days in the savage country and had encountered the difficulties and dangers. Incident to a Pursuit of the Fur Trade of Canada. Oh, sounds important. (laughs) Yes. Sounds (laughs) (laughs) self-important. Continue. Okay. So these dinners would start at 4 p.m. And they... hmm, This is... I uh, mean, these people were a little older, as I understand. So, you know, starting at 4 p.m. Okay. Not uncommon. But they started out by passing a native peace pipe. Oh, yeah. So they're like appropriating the the native culture. Colonizers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Continue. They do, they make five toasts, five different toasts. Like raise a glass toast yes. or like <laughs> toasted bread toast <laughs> or both? Raise a glass okay. toast. Okay. Oh, here we go. A flaming boar's head is carried out on a velvet platform. Accompanied by a Highland Piper. So kind of a modest affair is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Um, everyone would get rowdy and break stuff. 
<laughs> like uh, what just happened here. Right. With, with all of in right? the wine glasses. We had our very own beaver club. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and this sounds like a, a hoot of a time. The men would sit in a single file line pretending to row a canoe, a tradition called the Grand Voyage. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like something that would have taken place after hours. Right. After a few more of those toasts. Okay, so one night uh, in 1808, there were 31 members and guests that went out for dinner. And they, ra- okay, they racked their whole bill total was around 28 pounds and 15 cents. Okay. Which today would be about $900. Okay. But if you think back to like seventeen hundred, yeah, ooh, that's like dropping like a million bucks on dinner. Sure, it's a lot of coin. Yes, it's um, a lot of loonies, as the Canadians would say, <laughs> toonies and loonies. I I know my Canadian history. That was my <laughs> hand on here. I'm not farting over here. I swear. Just, my face. I'm like, oh no, just just my hand rubbing the table, <laughs> made the fart sound. Anyway, continue. Um, so the club was picky and formal about who they let in. To audition a new member, they would invite him to dinner, get him drunk. Not just any fur baron. Uh-huh. And then when the guests left, they would vote, and everyone was drunk as well. If the prospective member earned a unanimous yes, he was let in. And so in over four decades, they inducted about 100 members, but has never exceeded more than 55 people at a time. Huh. Mm-hmm. So this is still a tradition that continues to this day, perhaps? I don't know if it is still in practice today. Okay. But it lasted for 400 years. <laughs> so. Wow. Who knew? Yes. Well, if you're a Canadian, you probably knew. Wait, it's probably, was it 400 years? It's or probably f- steeped in the lore of Canadian history. Oh, four decades. What am I talking about now? Four centuries. Okay. So, so 40 it's, years. This is an old... Yes. Kind of uh, outdated tradition. Yeah. There's so. no passing peace pipes. And... <laughs> Very no. interesting. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Thanks. If you enjoyed our show today, please rank and review us. You can follow us on our socials at we underscore cook underscore books. That is our Instagram. And our Facebook is at we cook books. How could you not enjoy this show? We had everything. <laughs> I know. All kinds of fanfare. And excitement and yeah. drama. And broken stuff. Yeah. All right. I got a good one for you. All right. We're going to end this on a high note with this uh, food-related joke. Hey, Victoria, why couldn't the green pepper practice archery? Because mm. it didn't habanero. <laughs> that would be a good one for the girls. It would be. Yeah. It'd be a good one for my nieces. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that one. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my memory bank to bust out <laughs> next time I see them. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Stay safe. Stay hungry. <laughs>